Hi there everyone and welcome to another week of the Good News According to Job. I trust you're all doing well and uh, that you're ready to dive into the next section. Uh, just before we begin, a couple things to just take note of is last week as we came to the end of Job's uh, response to Zophar and the other two friends, uh, we came to also the end of what we can uh, box as the first cycle. So this is the first cycle of discourses between the friends, Job and his friends. And so that completed the first cycle. And as we turn to this week, uh, we turn to Eliphaz in, and his response in chapter 15. And we start the new cycle again. So Eliphaz begins um, followed by Bildad and Zophar and their responses and how they're engaging with Job. So this is uh, exciting. As we shift into the next phase or the next section of Job, as we see how their responses are building. So as we picked up uh, after Zophar, we start picking up on the language of wisdom starting to be introduced. And we'll see how that grows now into the next uh, cycle of discourses. The other thing to uh, just be aware of is that as we're going into this next cycle, it begins to feel tedious. It begins to feel tiresome, uh, working through it over and over again. It feels like there's this repetition that's taking place uh, that seems very much the same. Um, and, and it's a strange thing because as we wrestle with it, we see there is an interplay, there's a drama, there's an unfolding of arguing and back and forth that takes place. What's interesting about this is we find it so easy to switch on the TV and watch drama, uh, watch it unfold in a family dynamic or various uh, settings amongst friends. But as soon as we have to read about it in this context, it almost feels too real. And so we get discouraged as we are working through a book like Job. The first section seems interesting, it seems exciting, um, but we need to, in order to get to the heart of Job, in order to really work through it and understand what's taking place, we need to slowly chip away at this discussion, this argument, this, uh, in, this discourse that's taking place between Job and his friends in order to really not necessarily see uh, the the richness of of what each thing uh, of what each friend is having to say, but more so the richness of the heart of Job. And so, what I mean by that is, you'll see that a lot of what the friends are saying and what Job is saying is repeated, but it's the heart. It it stirs our own hearts. And it gets us to think more deeply about Job and his circumstance. And so that will naturally happen as you slowly work through Job. You get to a point where you feel frustrated. You feel agitated or sad or, or maybe even depressed. But it's because that you are beginning to get into the space, that heart of Job. And that's the, where the book takes you. It takes you down into that same space that Job is in uh, to get you to contemplate, to really wrestle with his position as well as how his friends are dealing with him. And then ultimately that will then set us up for what is to come when the, when the Lord speaks and how he responds to Job in light of who Job is. So we need to... Uh, if you want to put it this way, we need to dig down, we need to enter into the pit that Job is in, 
in order to best understand uh, the heart of Job, the real uh, weightiness that lies behind Job. And so as we start the next cycle, you're going to see that a lot of what Eliphaz is saying in this week's, uh, in this chapter of this week is very similar to what he said originally. Uh, but this time he's now building on things that uh, Job has said. He's actually taking a lot of what Job is saying and, and turning it, twisting it a bit uh, to use it against Job. And so we see how Eliphaz uh, and his discourse uh, matures in one sense as it unfolds, uh, as it grows, as you can see he's listening to Job. But, but it's interesting to see what he hears and what he takes away from what Job is saying. So let's turn there. We're not going to read through the whole section, uh, but let's look at the first couple of verses and then we'll see how uh, it unfolds and some of the things that uh, Eliphaz is saying that we can pick up on and the, the significance of it for us today. So we pick up there in the first, uh, first two verses, it says, uh, or the second and third verse, it says, Would a wise person answer with empty notions or fill their belly with the hot east wind? Would they argue with useless words, uh, with speeches that have no value? And so right up front, what we find Eliphaz is doing is he's now defending his argument. He's defending himself. He's saying, uh, would a wise person, uh, and so that's interesting already, is that language of wisdom is coming into it after Zophar, that, that now he's, he's, uh, he's putting himself in that position of being a wise person. And so he is saying, would a wise person answer with empty notions? He's saying, I've not answered anything with em empty notions. So he's defending what he has been saying to Job up until this point. Uh, or fill their belly with hot east wind. Uh, in other words, with, with something that's useless, that's actually, uh, that can actually cause uh, harm more than anything else. And then verse 3, he says, would they argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? So now he's saying, would, would I actually be arguing, would a wise person argue with uh, useless phrases, useless words that, that actually has no value? And so these rhetorical questions, we'd wanna, we would want to answer, well, of course, no, a wise person wouldn't do that. But then we are left with the question, but Eliphaz, are you saying you are wise? Do you think you are wise? And so it sets, a, sets, a, sets up Eliphaz's, uh, what he's about to say, his discourse at this point, to really get us to wonder, is what Eliphaz has said right or wrong? Uh, does he does he actually say something here that is valid and that he actually redeems himself in some sense? Uh, but unfortunately, if we remember uh, who Eliphaz is, what he has said in the past, as well as uh, what some of the what the other friends have said, we see that their arguments are not directly uh, considering who Job is as a person and and who God sees him as. And as a result, their words lack the wisdom of God, lack a depth of wisdom. And so it's a level of pride that actually comes in here through the introduction. If we understand who Eliphaz is and how he's saying this, the fact that he is making this rhetorical question is not suggesting, he's not outright suggesting that he is wise, but there is the, he is alluding to it. He is suggesting that he is wise, however. And unfortunately, uh, through doing that, he actually looks more like a fool uh, in the way that he is presenting himself here. 
The next thing that uh, we need to just glance at is verse 4. He says, But you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. So now, after defending himself, he turns to Job. And he says, Well, Job, uh, you, however, he says, undermine piety. Uh, you, you hinder devotion to God. Your problem is that you are not truly devoted to God. You, your problem is that you aren't truly sincere about being blameless and upright. Your problem is that uh, you, you undermine it. You undermine what it means to, to live a life for God, is what he is saying here. And this comes as sharp words if we think about how dedicated Job is in the beginning of Job. So if you remember uh, how dedicated Job would be uh, in the case of his family, how he would make, he would do sacrifices um, in case his children had sinned against God. It wasn't even a certain thing. He was so determined to make sure that uh, his family never sinned against God. So his, de his devotion, we can see that in what the author has told us. But also we are told that by God, that he is blameless, he is upright, that he fears God and he shuns evil. Um, and so we are told these things and yet we have these words that come from Eliphaz that lack the, the, the insight that God has. The, it lacks the depth of what we are told, uh, not only by the author, but by God, about Job. And so we know that this isn't a true statement, verse, three, verse 4 here, that Eliphaz says, that Job doesn't undermine piety and he doesn't hinder devotion, the devotion to God. Uh, he is incredibly dedicated. He fears God and he shuns evil. Um, then verse 5 suggests something further that Eliphaz says, Your sin prompts your mouth. You adopt the tongue of the crafty. And he just takes it even further there. Uh, he says, Your sin prompts your mouth. Uh, that your very sinful nature, your sinfulness, is what uh, is actually influencing what you are saying. So everything that Eliphaz is suggesting is that everything that Job has said up until this point has been prompted by his sinful mouth. Um, and you adopt a tongue of, that is crafty. He's saying your words are crafted, but it's, it's deceived, it's, it's wrong. Um, so up front, we hear this from, from Eliphaz, these shocking words, as he, he just challenges Job so strongly. Um, but yet, that what must be resonating and ringing in your ears is, but what does God say? What does God say about Job? Because this isn't a true indication of who Job is, according to who God has told us Job is. Uh, and so we need to keep that running through our mind. Um, then what I want us to notice is verse, uh, verse 6 here. It says, your own mouth condemns you. Uh, not mine, your own lips testify against you. And so it's interesting that he's using that, that phrase. He says, your own mouth condemns you. And what Eliphaz is picking up on is if we turn back to uh, chapter 9, and then we see what he says in verse 20. He says, even, this is what Job says, even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. 
And so through those words that, that Job was speaking so honestly as he reflects on himself and on the fact that he is a broken person, Eliphaz has picked up on those words and he now turns them against Job. And he says, Job, he says here, uh, your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. And so he's twisted Job's words and he says, uh, you are condemning yourself. You are testifying against yourself. And, and you said it, actually. And so he twists Job's words. Whereas that's not in exactly what Job was implying. Job was implying that in relation to God, well, of course, uh, he cannot ever be truly blameless. But he is. He is blameless. Uh, but if he was left to his own demise, if he was left unchecked, is what Job was actually uh, actually suggesting, is that if he was left unchecked, uh, he would condemn himself. But we know that Job hasn't done that at this point. Nothing that he has said has got a finality to it. Nothing that Job has said is set in stone. He has contemplated, he has considered, he's wrestled with things. But his friends are now turning, again, turning his own words now against Job. But let's uh, just jump a little bit further down. Verse 14 there, it says, What are mortals that they could be pure, or those born of women, that they could be righteous? Now what's interesting here is, I want to highlight this one as well, is it's again uh, Eliphaz twisting Job's words. So notice what it says in chapter 14, verse 1. Mortals born of women are of few days and full of trouble. And so this is interesting because it's very similar language that is being used here in, in Job's discourse uh, and the way that Eliphaz is now res responding. He says, what are mortals that they could be pure? So it's interesting that uh, Job makes the comment saying, well, mortals are born for trouble. So as he says, mortals born of women are a few days and full of trouble. Now Eliphaz comes in and says, what are mortals that they could be pure or who, those born of women that they could be righteous? So now he's saying, well, who are you then, uh, Job? You've made this comment saying, well, well all mortals are born, born, of, born for trouble. But now, uh, what are you then suggesting if you say you're blameless or you're righteous or upright? Uh, what are you suggesting then? Uh, is there something different about you? Who do you think you are? Uh, and so, if that kind of starts... Uh, working through your head that Eliphaz is building to something and he's going to turn to Eliphaz and say, well, you know, you've made a comment saying that uh, mortals are born and will face trouble. Uh, but then how is it that you can say that uh, you are righteous or blameless or upright? Uh, who are you that you can say that? And we're going to hear that this is exactly the type of thing that Eliphaz is about to ask Job. Look at these verses, verses 15 and 16. He says, If God places no trust in His holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure in His eyes, how much less mortals who are vile and corrupt, who drink up evil like water. Um, and then what's interesting is that this ties back again into something that Eliphaz said in his first discourse. He says, uh, if we flip back quickly to 4 verse 18, I'll read that for us. He says here, 4 verse 18, If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more 
those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth. And so Eliphaz uses very similar language again as he contemplates, uh, as he says, if God places no trust in his holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure in his eyes. He says, well then, who are you? Uh, If God doesn't trust his heavenlies, who are you to suggest that you could be righteous or blameless? And so this is the the tension. Uh, Furthermore, if you want to flip back and you see the the strength or the strongness of those words, we find this uh, in verses 7 uh, onwards. It says, are you the first man ever born? Uh, were Were you brought forth? Before the hills, do you listen to uh, listen in on God's counsel? Do you have a monopoly on wisdom? What do you know that we do not know? What insights do you have that we do not have? And so you hear it uh, as Eliphaz is arguing here with Job. He's saying, "Who are you? Who are you to say what you have said? How do you know what you know?" And again, if you remember what I said a couple, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, is uh, the danger of making these these kind of statements is to say, well, who do you think you are to know uh, who how God thinks and does uh, does things? What you are about to say, you need to be careful that you don't fall into that trap yourself, that you don't end up saying things with a definite uh, with a definiteness to it, and so there is that risk uh, of what Eliphaz has said there that we'll see connect up a little bit later as we turn to verse 20. And as we turn there uh, now, it's just important to keep that in the back of your mind, that who is Job to know whether he is blameless or upright? Uh, But we are told it, so there is not error in what he is saying. But the fact that uh, Eliphaz challenges what Job understands or knows, and to question uh, the mind of God in that sense, or questioning Job in light of the mind of God, uh, puts Eliphaz in a peculiar position, because we have him say this in verse 20, All his days the wicked man suffers torment, the ruthless man through all the years stored up for him. Now what's interesting is there may be truth in what Eliphaz is saying here, but it is not entirely true, because what he is doing here, he's building this case against Job, and he's saying, Job, what you are facing, what you are struggling with, your suffering, your torment, your what he's going to go on to say, your distress, your anguish, these terrors, is a result of you having stored up uh, wickedness, evil, and as a result, you are facing the consequences. But the problem with that is that it's not true for Job. It may be true that people suffer because they do evil things or wicked things. That may be true, but it may also be true that we suffer not because of anything. Uh, so consider this for a moment. If what is he's saying here in verse 20 is true, he says, All his days the wicked man suffers torment, the ruthless man through all the years stored up for him. If that is true, consider this for a moment. If you could give an account of your a time period in your life where you were without sin, where you didn't sin in a situation or a circumstance. And someone came up to you and they saw how difficult life had become. Not uh, Nothing peculiar, just that 
maybe times get tough. So maybe there's not that monthly uh, flow of income. Maybe you're experiencing hardship at home. Maybe there is just a level of grief in your life. Maybe you've lost a loved one. And imagine someone comes and sits beside you at this point and says, what you are experiencing now is what has been stored up because of the evil that you have committed. And this, sh- this should actually shock us because it suggests that all suffering, all hardship is a result of wickedness or wickedness that we have done. So therefore, what Eliphaz is suggesting here, which is true to their system in that time, it, it's true to their, their culture and what they believe. If you've done wrong, bad things will happen to you. But the question is, have you ever experienced hardship, suffering, that you can't explain? And it's not to say that we, we don't store up, perhaps, uh, troubles for ourselves through the wickedness or the evils that we have done. But the challenge is to be careful that we don't box God, to say that God only produces or allows wicked things to happen, or terrible things to happen to wicked people. Because there are a lot of people that in our sight, in our mind, would seem undeserving of hardship and suffering. Perhaps ourselves first and foremost, and then those around us that we consider. So we need to be careful that we don't box God too quickly. And this seems to be what is taking place here with Eliphaz. He begins to box God uh, into this sort of framework of thinking. So let's just read those verses that follow, 20. Uh, so we've read verse 20. Listen to 21. Terrifying sounds fill his ears. When all seems well, marauders attack him. He despairs of escaping the realm of darkness. He is marked for the sword. He wanders about for food like a vulture. He knows the day of darkness is at hand. Distress and anguish fill him with terror. Troubles overwhelm him like a king poised to attack. Because he shakes his fist at God and and warns himself against the Almighty. Defiantly charging against him with a thick, strong shield. And so we have this image of uh, a little bit more clarity, actually, to what Eliphaz is saying here. He's going further. He's saying, Job, you aren't only facing what you've stored up for yourself, but what you're experiencing is because you challenge God. What you're experiencing is because is what is a result of you wanting to argue with God. And as he says in verse 25, because he shakes his fist at God and warns him against the Almighty. He is saying you, you are blaming God and because you blame God, he is afflicting you. Uh, which seems not entirely, uh, the order doesn't seem entirely right. Job wasn't, uh, sh- um, he wasn't shaking his fist at God before this happened. But it is suggesting that part of what Job is facing is a result of his relationship, as if we go back to what Eliphaz was saying in the beginning, that piety is is undermined by Job, and that he isn't uh, pursuing God in the right way. And so, again, also just verse 24, we pick up on some of the language that Job has previously used, as he says, distress and anguish fill him with terror. Uh, troubles overwhelm him like a king poised to attack. Um, and so here Eliphaz is again, he has picked up on certain words that Job has used and he's turning them against Job. And he is saying, look at, look at your circumstance. You are reflecting a man that has stored up 
torment and trouble for himself. And you are facing the, the consequences of uh, being a wicked man. And so that's quite strong words, harsh words that Eliphaz is saying. And again, what must be resonating in the back of our minds is, but Job is blameless, he is upright, he fears God, and he shuns evil. This doesn't fit. This doesn't seem to fit. And so, uh, as we go on, uh, we can pick up on a few other things. Verse 31, he says, uh, actually picking up on verse 30, He will not escape the darkness, a flame will wither his shoots, and the breath of God's mouth will carry him away. Let him not deceive himself by trusting what is worthless, for he will get nothing in return. And so uh, Eliphaz is saying, don't trust in worthless things. Uh, you, You will ultimately be brought down to size. God will cut you off um, if you continue. And so he then, uh, one or two other things just to pick up. He says in verse 34, for the company of the godless will be barren. And I, I do want to just pick up on this because unfortunately this seems to have a double-edgedness to it, uh, unintentionally so, but for us to notice. Eliphaz says, for the company of the godless will be barren. Um, and so he is suggesting that uh, the company of Job's company, those that will be around him, they will, their company will be barren, it will be worthless, there will be nothing there. And the other side of it is that uh, the tension is that Job is not the godless one in this situation. Uh, he is fearing God and he is shunning evil. Um, but it may seem that this, the roles actually reverse in this regard. That Job is seeking, uh, as, a, as a godly person, seeking the counsel and comfort of friends, and yet uh, their comfort and counsel is barren. Um, so there's this strange uh, play on it, if you want to consider it in that way. And then it ends off uh, this chapter in verse 35. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their womb fashions deceit. And so he is ultimately just concluding, saying this is what the wicked person looks like, that they conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their womb fashions deceit. And maybe that kind of phrase uh, sounds familiar, and you'll pick it up in the New Testament, a similar type of phrase in, in the book of James. And you hear that language of uh, this idea of conceiving trouble and giving birth uh, to evil. And so Eliphaz is summing up the situation of, of Job, and he's saying, Job, what you're facing is a result of yourself, your stored up wickedness, your lack of piety, your uh, undermining of piety and your fear of God. And what is happening is you are condemning yourself with your own mouth. Every time you speak, uh, you are digging your hole deeper and deeper. And beyond that, you are getting what you deserve. Uh, as he says, as he concludes there, that the wicked person will conceive trouble and give birth to evil. He's saying, this is you, Job. This is what you face. He doesn't seem to be saying it outright, but everything carries that weight as he responds to Job. He, you pick up the language that he repeats that Job has used, and he uses it against Job as he argues. 
Um, and then next week we'll pick up how Job gets frustrated once more uh, in verse 2 of 16. And you really see the weight. I've heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. So none of them are actually comforting in the way that Job really needs at this point. And so as we draw to a close on Eliphaz and his response to Job, we need to keep it running in the back of our mind that is this true and applicable to Job? Is this, uh, is this true for Job? Is it true for his circumstance? Uh, is it that Job has accumulated uh, a, a wickedness or accumulated a punishment that he is now facing? And yet it seems that we are told that it's not so. Job has not conducted his life in that way. Um, and as we look at this, it may frustrate us. Uh, we might either feel that there must still be something that Job has done wrong, or perhaps we are looking at Job and saying, this is unfair. How can Job be treated in this way? How is it that repeatedly Job uh, can be knocked down by his friends in this way? And the question is, well, how, how is it that, uh, what, what should be being said to Job? How should his friends be comforting him? And that's maybe something worth considering and wrestling through in our own minds. Uh, are they right in pointing out uh, or trying to sniff out what is wrong with Job? Or should they be pointing him to God? Uh, at this point, Eliphaz has not yet turned and said, Job, Whatever is happening to you, consider who God is. And so as we work through the rest of these discourses, we need to consider where is God in these discourses? Where is the pointing, the comfort that is found in the Lord God? Um, and so how are the friends actually doing that for Job? Um, the last thing that uh, I think we need to also just consider and way up is that obviously this still feels a little bit maybe detached for us or we don't want to relate to it uh, or it's tiresome but I encourage us to to wrestle with the heart of Job wrestle with what's taking place here allow this kind of chapter in Job to frustrate you to agitate you that when you get to next week's uh, Job's response in 16 you feel the weight of Job's words when he says, "You have, uh, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters. Try and wrestle with why would Job respond that way if they didn't respond truthfully? Why is it that Job would turn to these, these friends and say, you are miserable comforters. You don't help. And so Job uh, is going to when he responds next week, he's going to dig into further things and hopefully get us to think deeper and get us deeper into his own heart. Um, and as we do so, hopefully uh, hopefully you won't feel entirely despaired or frustrated, but that as you, as you get into that space, along with Job, that it gets you to consider more deeply uh, what is important at the end of the day. Is it a, is it a fight to be right? Uh, theologically sound, or is it a fight or a determinedness to, to draw closer to God? What is important at the end of the day? Uh, and that's something worth wrestling through in this section. Um, and I'm going to leave it there for us, contemplate it, and hopefully next week we can consider how Job responds in light of this. 
and uh, and yeah, unpack it a little bit further and get into the into the wealth of response and and what is in store for us. So I hope you enjoy, and uh, I hope you wrestle with Job, and we'll see you all next week. Cheers, bye.